Hey MSA, today's a podcast kind of day, so sit back, relax, and let the voices of the unheard take it away. Assalamualaikum everybody. Welcome to our very, very first MSA's new podcast series, The Voices of the Unheard. We are more than excited to get things started and bring this podcast out to you finally. Inshallah, all of our episodes will be um, will be released on every Jummah, so stay tuned to that. And I guess let's just get started. My name is Faryal. Um, I'm a second year honors biology student at McMaster. Uh, some things I like to do in my free time are um, I like playing badminton. I um, I also like doing a lot of calligraphy. Uh, my name is Murad, and uh, I'm in a third year's uh, life sciences here at McMaster University. Um, some of my hobbies uh, would include I like playing chess. Alhamdulillah. Um, I also like um, I'm also quite fond of Islam. Islam is a very very important thing to me. It's a very very it's uh, what well, it's my hobby. Inshallah, three to six five days a year. Um, but overall, like, um, alhamdulillah, uh, I'm not the biggest athlete, I guess. I like chess and trivia. Uh, inshallah, um, I like podcasts too, and I guess that's kind of why I'm here. Awesome. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Um, my name is Fatima Arshad, and I'm in second year of Honors Life Sciences. In my free time, I guess my hobbies include um, painting. I really do enjoy studying as well. And I guess my favorite hobby would be running, and I hope to run my first marathon this year. Uh, uh My name is Zakaria. I have a third year honors biology. Uh, some fun facts about me and just some interesting things I like to do. Uh, kind of getting myself back into reading, so uh, reading is kind of fun, I guess. Um, I also uh, have a cat, and that's also taking up quite a lot of portions of my time, as everyone on the podcast knows. Um yeah, really excited to be part of this uh, podcast. May Allah make it something that's beneficial for everyone involved. Okay, um, so today's episode is just a small intro to introduce who we are and just to introduce your hosts today. Each week, we'll have different speakers come in. If you'd like to talk about a story for any time that you felt like you were alone or set away from society or marginalized, please feel free to contact any of us so that we can get you on our podcast and you can come out and share your story. For today, we'll be discussing um, we'll be discussing a common topic that was that's relevant to everyone here, and that's the topic of uh, being new to a community or coming in from a different place in the world and set, settling into uh, settling into Hamilton. Um, so I can start off with my story. I actually moved here from Calgary, Alberta. So Calgary was a very, very diverse city. And by diverse, I just mean like a lot of brown people, Indians, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, you know, Sri Lankans, on and on. Um, a big Asian community, I guess. And then um, I I moved here for university. And when I, I, I actually moved straight into Hamilton and I've I've heard that Toronto is also known for its diversity, but Hamilton is very different. I wouldn't say it's very diverse. So when I came here, I 
I thought that nothing looked familiar to me anymore. It just felt like I was in a completely different place. And honestly, I used to define Canada as very different. And I'd say, oh, yeah, there's lots of brown people. There's lots of this people. But now that I was that I landed in Hamilton, I just looked around and I was like, where where am I? <laughs> this doesn't really look like what I used to define as home. So it was quite it was actually quite difficult adjusting in. And honestly, I'm still adjusting in. It's been like a year and a half now. But um, Alhamdulillah, it's gotten better. Um, so I can continue for me. Um, I've moved to a couple of different places. Initially, when I was seven years old, my family moved from Pakistan to Canada and we moved to Toronto. So first of all, like the whole transition from Pakistan to Canada was just huge. Um, I remember um, telling my mom, like whenever it would rain, I would tell my mom that, wow, it smells like Pakistan now. And then it was just those little moments um, like that remind you of like where you lived before, you know, Um, I think for me and my family, the hardest that it hits us to this point from like to moving to Canada is like Eid and like all these like traditional holidays where like we can't see our family. I can't see my grandmother. And it's just like painful, you know, like obviously you can talk on the phone, but it'll never be the same. Yeah. And then living in Toronto, right? Like it's so diverse there. Like you see people from like all over the world. And even at school, like you get to meet so many different people and then in grade six, it was another move when we moved from Toronto to Hamilton. And then even in the area that I live in, like here, it's so like it's predominantly white people. And um, I went to a Catholic school for grade nine and 10 just because it was really close by. And I was one of the only like brown Muslim people there. And honestly, like it is really difficult to fit in sometimes like you have to think about like your religion and where you stand and you see all these people like doing all these things that you as a person know are wrong so now you're left to like question yourself like why right like and then when you don't have those like Muslim friends around you and don't have that influence it can get really difficult as well You know, I I completely agree. Sometimes I look outside my window and it's all I see are white people walking across the street. And I literally there's there's such less brown people that I can probably like count them like, oh, yeah, I saw one brown person down on the street. Maybe just one. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) One thing that I will say is like um, I feel like a big part of marginalization. And I think that's something that just really, really is like, I guess, understated also like um. I don't think it's just like a white majority problem too, right? Like, for example, uh, one thing that I'll bring up, and inshallah, maybe we can bring a future guest on this topic, is, um, you know, the marginalization of like non, uh, you know, brown people, right? For example, like, for example, uh, if even if a community is entirely brown, you know, how would that make, for example, um, a Syrian family feel? How would that make a Somalian family feel? Uh, if, a, if a community, for example, solely spoke Urdu or solely spoke Bengali or uh, Hindi, you know, how would that make a family that could only speak uh, Somali or, you know, these different languages or uh, Arabi? How would that make them feel? And I think that um, a big thing is like, I don't think it's important about who the majority is because, you know, you could have like a, you know, but the question you have to ask is, would it be any different if, you know, the community was filled with white converts? You know, is it is it specifically the race or is it the fact that we don't fit in um, religiously? 
And I think that's an interesting thing. Uh, what do you guys think? Like, where do you guys think the, yeah. the out feeling comes from? Is it from a position of, you know, you feel outed by your race, your religion, your culture? What exactly is it then? I'm just curious what you guys take. I mean, like, it's, um, and I, I'll just start on this and then everyone else can throw in their thoughts, of course. Um, Murad, you already kind of like hint at the fact that, you know, uh, you know, marginalization can happen in multiple different places, right? Maybe you might be the same skin color. Like the most obvious one is, you know, you're physically different, right? Uh, different skin colors from different places, right? Um, and then there are like, you know, uh, more micro uh, level, you know, marginalizing factors, right? So for example, even within, you know, uh, countries in the subcontinent, um, you know, you can have people who are more or less around in a very narrow range of skin color. But even within that, you have unfortunate things like, you know, the caste system, where if you're darker, you're less yeah. valuable. If you're lighter, you're more valuable, right? So even within, you know, this very narrow range, realistically, you're not there, there's very, there's not a huge variation in skin color, I guess, throughout like, you know, sub, uh, people that live in the subcontinent. Um, but even in that small window, there's still a massive uh, window in which, you know, marginalization can creep in and exist, right? And even with things like, you know, uh, even, you know, people can be discriminated against based on, you know, their religion, right? And then even within, you know, certain religions, there are, you know, oh, you're a Muslim from, you know, this place, you're, you know, a Christian from, you know, this place, right? And these different denominations, unfortunately, end up, you know, becoming a source of identity with which we use to, you know, alienate or um, oftentimes, like in the worst case, kind of demonize other people, right? So, yeah, I think it's like an interesting thought, but, you know, it's an unfortunate reality, which discrimination can exist at even the, like the smallest of issues. Um, I, I completely agree with that. Now, now, like now I think about it and um, back back in Calgary, there were a lot of like a lot of Indians like practicing um, Hindu, Sikhs, um, Buddhists. So, you know, I feel like I wasn't as close to religion when I was there because obviously like even though like I think brother Murad said this that even though they are like people maybe of the same um, race skin color but there are still differences between everyone and I just felt like it was it was very dominated by um, Indian culture or Indian values so you weren't I, I guess I don't know how to put it but I wasn't able to practice my religion to its extent over there, uh, being surrounded by all of these other people um, practicing their own um, religion. I think for me, like, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I think I had the complete opposite experience. When I was um, in like the Catholic high school, like, I think that was the point in my life where I like realized like just how like much I love Islam and like everything about it was so perfect because like for me I saw people who were um a part of like different religions and obviously I respected that but um you see how like people like like Muslim people are so like what's the right word there's so many different um aspects that like Muslims follow but then um even Christians like for for Catholics I realized that like in religion class we would learn all these things that they're supposed to do and then outside of the class people would just like make fun of that whereas in islam like even together right now like we really do appreciate like everything that allah has like granted us alhamdulillah and like like we're a lot more i would say like closer closer yeah closer to allah i would say Mm -hmm. that's when i think i like had my realization as well 
just look at the exercises for Fatima. Um, I've noticed, or this is maybe like just some weird conception that I have, and and it kind of you mentioned it, right? Is that like there are Catholic schools are obviously like Catholic, right? It's kind of in the namesake. Um, but like you were talking about how people go to these religion classes, they learn things about like Catholicism or Christianity at large, um, and then they just kind of leave and they don't really take it seriously. Um, don't you like like I kind of find that paradoxical, right? Where it's like a school created ideally like I, like catered towards Christian and Catholic people end up being, I guess, attended by people who aren't really serious about their faith. Like I, I don't know, this is a very side tangential thing, but I just think it's kind of interesting. Like, do you think there's any reasons as to why that might be? Like, even though there are safe, like like quote unquote safe spaces, but spaces that are supposed to address certain groups of people, right? Maybe because they're marginalized or otherwise. Um, and those spaces don't end up being used adequately or properly, right? I think if I can just add on to that, um, yeah, uh, you know, great points. Um, when it comes to like the whole idea of like, because we talked about, for example, how different communities are going to have different, um, I guess rather, uh, you, you said it was like a paradox in a sense. The thing is that we can't exclude, uh, even for example, uh, I think uh, the sister brought up, I think the sister Fatima brought up, uh, the MSA specifically, uh, when it comes to things like Islamic schools as well, uh, I think, you, you know, because I, back in Vancouver, sort of some backstory, I guess, um, I was one of the only Muslims, I mean, not in only Muslims, only students who were Muslim, outside maybe of a small handful of people. And um, again, being too much of a minority is definitely a bad thing. But I think that, especially with the MSA, you have people, you know, in the MSA who are gathering around, you know, a Muslim identity which makes it so that, you know, all of us today either here can gather as well. So we are like, you know, overall a minority group in Canada as Muslims, but the MSA is a place where people who have the same values, same general mindsets, uh, you know, gather together. Um, the problem with, I think, Catholic schools and even Islamic schools is that for a lot of people, they don't make that choice on their own, right? Uh, you know, people join, no one's forced to join that, you know, no one's, no one's parents are going to be like son, you know, or daughter, I want you to join the MSA. You have to join the MSA. Maybe they will. Maybe I will. A lot of them. But the thing is that, um, you know, being in the minority sometimes, not always, but it sometimes strengthens. And I guess kind of, um, you know, a small minority kind of has to be stronger together to, to be able to even exist. So I think that sometimes being a minority and facing adversity can actually, you know, build stronger and deeper connections than just you know, connections that are forced upon you or are just made by convenience, I guess. Um, I actually totally agree with that. But I remember having this conversation with a friend um, back in that high school in grade nine. And she told me that she didn't even know, like, fasting was a part of her religion. And I think with Islam, like, um, alhamdulillah, like, I'll talk about my parents. Like, my parents did a really good job, like, educating us, like, me and my brother, about, like, what's done in Islam, like, like all the little aspects and like making us both fall in love with it rather than I feel like a lot of like Catholics, Christians, I feel like they themselves don't really know what um, a lot of like their um, religion consists of, which may also be another reason why um, they aren't as practicing. Um, it's, it's so interesting that you guys bring this up because recently I actually um, I was flipping through Instagram and I, I came across this quote and it said that you have to you have to discover Islam for yourself. You know, kids that go to Catholic schools, kids that go to Islamic schools, 
you know, there's teachers constantly teaching them about all of this stuff, but what meaning does it have in their life? Have they found, have they ha- have they found their purpose and their meaning in within their religion? You know, it's something that you kind of have to discover for yourself. And, you know, I think it sounds kind of cliche, but you just got to find your own spiritual awakening, I guess. <laughs> and I feel like for me, that was when I came here, when I was when I was back in Calgary, like I was surrounded by people, obviously, that looked like me. And some of them were Pakistanis, Muslims. And, you know, I was just following along what they were doing and how they were acting. But I I never like um, reached out to Islam myself. Like I never really looked into it for myself. But when I came here and, you know, I just I felt so alone and I wanted something, you know, that made me feel like I was at home. So obviously I went out and I joined the MSA and it was probably the best decision that I have probably ever made in my life because like it was obviously, you know, my spiritual awakening that brought me closer to Allah and Islam. I was able to develop a deeper connection with obviously the help of the MSA that was there to reinforce Islamic values, beliefs, ideals, you know, every single day while I was here in isolation and I really think that that built upon my spiritual awakening yeah just going back to the point uh I think Sister Fatima brought it up about like Islamic or maybe Sister Freya I can't remember sorry um about like being able to find a spiritual awakening that oftentimes isn't present in Islamic schools I do agree with that that like you know most people by and large do have to have like like kind of go through some path themselves and some set of experiences themselves to really understand the beauty of the religion. But I, I think that to some extent, there is a fault of like, you know, like people can get involved in the religion if maybe they find a teacher that really like, you know, makes the religion that that can showcase the perfection and beauty of the religion, right? Um, so in like Islamic schools, for example, like the way in which maybe the religion, like, like realistically, by and large, and maybe I'm wrong in this, but is the people that are in Islamic schools aren't always like, you know, world-renowned shayukh and, uh, you know, have studied in like, you know, Azhar or like Medina or something like that. And like, I don't have multiple, you know, hijaza and PhD, whatever, right? They're by and large, they're, they're learned people, mashallah, but like, they're not, uh, I guess, the most equipped to uh, teach the depth of Islam and understand that in its entirety, right? And then be able to communicate that effectively to students, children, uh, and whatnot, um, so yeah, I think that's like an overarching problem that maybe has to be addressed in Islamic education in Western contexts or non-Islamic places. I overall agree with um, the sentiments, and just to bring it back to like the idea of like marginalization and like what it means to be othered or kind of like marginalized. Um, you know, sometimes like the thing is that you know there's that hadith about Islam being a strange thing, and even nowadays you see, for example, how uh, speak about Muslims in a general context, you know, despite being one of the fastest growing religions, you know, as, at least in the West, uh, Islam is alienated, you know, in many different ways, right? Uh, even with the use of, you know, if you're in university and you go to like a lecture and you go to some like religious or philosophical, you know, sit down, it's always Judeo-Christian history, Judeo-Christian scripture. Uh, and the thing is that, you know, Islam is left out of the conversation when it's not uh, polemic. And I think, what I'm trying to, and I guess to bring this all back to like mar, the level of like marginalization and what, the, what it actually means to marginalize someone, I feel like to marginalize someone is to, is um, the easiest way to marginalize someone is to just label them, right? Is to just label them and kind of um, 
uh, broad stroke them as one specific category. So, you know, instead of us thinking about, you know, instead of us thinking of, you know, uh, I don't know, Sister Fariel or Brother Zach, Sister Fatima as, you know, individual people with their own experiences, you know, we think of them as, oh, these are, you know, brown immigrant families or like, uh, you know, are these are in university students or, for example, uh, that's a white community. Um, I think when you when you kind of the labels exist, labels exist for objects, you know, you can label an object. But I think that, um, you know, even if you look at genocide theory and a lot of these other you know political concepts, the idea of just labeling an entire group by one physical attribute of, the, of themselves, uh, it's something that I think is unhealthy to begin with. If you look at Islam, and if you look at you know the Prophet Sallam and you know Bilal ibn Rabah, you know, um, sorry Bilal, you know the you know Muaddin, may Allah have mercy on him. I mean, um, you know he was, uh, you know he was uh, a dark skin. He was black, right? And he he gave the first. Uh, he had the honor of calling uh, the Prophet Sallam's you know jamaat to prayer. Um, and I think we have to think about ourselves if we're going to label ourselves as anything. We should label ourselves as Muslims. And I think that you know instead of being bounded together by what we're what we can't change i think it's a lot more powerful to bind by something that we actively chose which is you know to pursue you know at least a path of betterment on our deen i think it's a lot more powerful to choose and you know gather around something that you chose than something that you were born into right and i think this is an islamic principle um and allah knows best but i think that that's a really important thing uh, to acknowledge i think um so do you guys agree that all of these experiences or being marginalized or set apart, do you think that brings us together even stronger? Like it makes us a stronger ummah all together? Even if you look at it just like from a person to person point of view, like I'll give a personal example. Like the first time Fariel and I like talked, we had a really deep conversation about something that we both had gone through. And then after that point, um, we both have been a lot closer so I think if you do share an experience with someone else um even if it's not like every single Muslim but overall you have that like certain feeling of like not fitting in or feeling marginalized I do think that brings people together we spoke a lot about um I guess our own communities and I think brother Zach brought up a good point um you know when it comes to um the different marginalizations that we experience, you know, uh, and I think that it's also important to reflect on our own communities too. Like, um, you know, even as Muslims, like, um, you know, of course there's the, you know, the prototypical example of like, you know, Muslims getting marginalized by, you know, Europeans and colonialism. And that's definitely a thing. There's no doubt it's a thing, but I think uh, it's also important to reflect on our own communities, you know, when it comes to, you know, being, you know, Desi communities, Arab communities, uh, you know, communities, for example, like, you know, here we have, there's a lot of different communities. You know, Hamilton has a huge Somali population, huge Syrian population. I guess in our general communities, and I guess as like an MSA, I guess maybe I'm speaking more towards MSAs and I guess like GTA family populations. What examples are like, what, you know, do you guys have any, you know, examples of maybe marginalization that we engage in, maybe without us even being aware of it, like things that we need to address as a community ourselves as Muslims? Um, and, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe inshallah, you guys can go ahead and I'll chip in. I'm just a bit curious what you guys think. I think that like, especially living in Pakistan, you see like all of these like people like engaging in like backbiting. And like, even when you come to Canada, like I've seen like uncles and aunties, like people's like 
whose houses I've gone to and them talking about like how black people are dangerous and like things like that when they don't really know like what they're talking about completely when people just talk based on stereotypes and brother Murad you mentioned how like like bad it can be to like stereotype everyone into one specific group instead of looking at like individual to individual so yeah you know I actually think about this a lot and I I often think like are we so uh, I think brother Murad mentioned the thing about Desi communities and obviously in our Desi communities we have a lot of different celebrations um, different events different functions and I I often think how how often do we bring Islam into these is our are our identities more comprised of our culture or is it more comprised of our religion because um you know, I've I've personally faced this within within my own community. And this was when I first started wearing the hijab, like I think six months ago. And someone from my my own family, they come up to me and they're like, Why why are you wearing that right now? I don't think you need to wear that. You should enjoy your youth and stuff. And I was like, I I was really shook because this was coming from someone within my own community. And you know that that really hurt me because you know, I don't think there's there's um, set boundaries on when you should start wearing a hijab. When when should you start looking more into Islam? You know, I think you should you should try to become a better person every day. And I really think it was just the cultural stereotype behind it that oh no, it's okay, you don't have to wear it right now. Or you know, I don't know. Maybe someone else can expand a bit more on it. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems, at least like from my experience within the Pakistani community. Cause like I, I've, I've been to Pakistan like once in my life. I'm not like from Pakistan by any means. I've born here, raised here. Um, but like I used to live in, you know, a very Pakistani, I guess, uh, concentrated community um, before I moved to Ancaster. So like within that community and even like just within my own family, a lot of it is just, you know, uh, oh, we just do customs and traditions because that's like what we were taught, right? And the Quran talks a lot about um, even like the Islamic tradition. It's like, oh, well, our forefathers did this and, you know, the people before us did this. So we just kind of do it, right? And that's unfortunately been justification for a lot of practices. And at least like, you know, back in the times of the prophets and, uh, you know, um, in those times, it was justification for, you know, a lot of weird, messed up kind of practices, right? But today, within specifically talking about the Muslim community, you know, what our forefathers did, uh, in air quotes, ends up being used as an excuse to, you know, to teach some things that oftentimes people don't know are actually kind of contrary to their religion or don't, you know, uh, um, uh, aren't con- like reconcilable with the religion, right? So, for example, like the idea of like enjoying your youth, right? Um, like, sure, up to a degree, but, you know, once you reach a certain stage, hijab becomes uh, mandatory, right? So, uh, you know, like these ideas, or, or this is just one example, right? But um, these ideas that exist, unfortunately, within our community, we're not just bashing the Pakistani community here. I think most communities, by and large, do have certain elements of culture that are uh, infused in and kind of slip into the grounds of this is a religious kind of ruling or uh, ordainment that we kind of go by. Um, and unfortunately, when those things kind of uh, mesh together, your average layperson is able to know the difference. Um, and I think the biggest solution to this is just probably like seeking knowledge about the religion, understanding the religion in its like, I guess, most pure form, kind of sifting through the uh, cultural aspects that may have, you know, crept in. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, anyone else want to talk about that, I guess? 
Yeah, like uh, I'll, I'll chip in on this because um, you know, alhamdulillah, I still stand by the by the claim, Allah, for the most part, that Hamilton is the best city in Canada. Um, I was born here, so I'm, uh, it's a bit biased, but um, when it comes to the actual like overall, you know, premise of like you know, Desi and whatever communities. I think uh, one thing that I'll say is a lot of people, you know, mistake being Desi for Desi culture for like being Muslim, right? And that's that's a very big um, misnomer, right? Even if you look at the MSA in its current state, even if you look at many MSAs, if you, the honest truth is, if you look at exec director teams, if you look at, for example, um, a lot of the kind of cultural kind of discussions that happen, a lot of the slang that's used, it is, you know, inherently Desi, right? And that might be a symptom of it being a majority, but the thing is, it has to be acknowledged regardless. Um, if you look at, for example, masjid boards, right, for the most part, if you look at, for example, who runs, um, you know, masjid boards and, you know, who makes the big decisions, it's almost entirely, you know, Desi communities and such. An exception that I will say right here is that, of course, that, you know, the downtown masjid is a bit more unique because we have a very large Somali and Syrian population, but my entire point is that when, for a lot of people, when they think about Islam, you know, you know, and they think about it as a more of a culture and more of like a, an, a, an identity and a race. Um, and one of the biggest issues is if you look at even our, even in our own communities, our uh, quote unquote Muslim based communities, people still stick, end up sticking, you know, uh, a lot to themselves, Right. You have, you know, if you go to a masjid where there are Pakistani uncles and Bengali uncles and all that stuff, you still see the Somali uh, you know, uncles hanging out with the Somali uncles, the Pakistani uncles hanging out with the Pakistani uncles and so on and so on. You don't see a lot of mixing per se. And this issue is also there in terms of uh, marriage. You know, uh, if you look at, for example, you know, the, the taboo topic of like, you know, uh, a brown person marrying a non-brown person, especially for, I think, for uh, sisters, uh, you know, especially, you know, sisters in different communities. You know, I was talking to her brother uh, about you know um, what it means for like an Arab woman to get married to a non-Arab man, what it means for a Desi woman to get married to a non-Desi man. Um, you know these this entire junction of you know once again labels, right? And to say that you know that's a Muslim community, I think is not entirely correct. I mean, there's Muslims in it, but is it right? Is it entirely is 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 it Islamic or is it culturally you know oriented? And I would beg to say that majority of these communities that are Muslim, mashallah, alhamdulillah for that are like culturally bound, right, by the, for the most part. And I wouldn't say MSAs are an exception uh, to that rule. Uh, but I think it's important to distinguish that, you know, just because the whole, you know, premise is run and, you know, populated by Desis and Arabs, doesn't mean that it's, you know, necessarily Muslim in, you know, its operation or its, you know, most important values, I guess. And I think that's something we have to address. Um, Allah knows best. So do you guys think that the main problem is that people don't understand like Islam and like the teachings behind it, which is why they choose to follow their cultural like practices more? I think like, like uh, to some degree, I'd, I'd say that, right? Um, it's much, I guess, easier uh, for your average lay person to when, you know, their father or your grandfather or something like that, or the people around you by and large are just saying that like, look, here's what you do here's x y said here's you know your way of life laid out for you this is what mm-hmm. we've been doing for years and you know decades whatever um your average person is just going to say like look this is you know good enough for me um and you know sometimes won't kind of delve further than that or start questioning their own lifestyles and stuff like that it's very few people 
that end up really looking at their society critically and seeing like, you know, how, uh, you know, how did we end up in the place that we are? Um, and then trying to uh, fix certain, you know, bad things that are happening in the community, right? Even if they are rooted in uh, historic practices. Um, so like, for example, you know, subtle degrees of racism that might happen and that become very pronounced, like Brother Murad said in the example of like marriage, right? Where people are very reluctant to, you know, uh, marry their daughters off to Somali brothers or brothers from, you know, Sudan and stuff like that, right? Uh, solely just based on, you know, well, they're of darker skin complexion, right? And these kind of teachings, obviously, like, even if we knew nothing about Islam, we'd probably say that, you know, ah, this doesn't kind of sit with me, right? This doesn't even sound well, right. But we already know that Islamically is wrong, right? But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, like, you know, that we've, you know, um, given respect or honored every child of Adam, right? That doesn't mean just the white children of Adam or the light, the, the fair-skinned children of Adam, right? Or the children of Adam that come from, you know, this region in, in Pakistan, right? Or like nothing like that, right? So, and when, when uh, in, in, in uh, the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's uh, last khutbah, he says that, you know, uh, no white person is superior, superior to a black person, no black person is superior to a white person, no Arab is, uh, you know, better than a non-Arab and vice versa, right? Except why? Uh, taqwa, right? And their actions, their, their God consciousness, right? God consciousness, right? And these are things that, you know, we can't objectively measure super well, but then, you know, there are good indicators, right? So in this case, at least what we can derive from this is that there are practices that unfortunately we know from our day-to-day experiences from you know talking to people that there are these practices that exist and just from our baseline you know like none of us are scholars here right but um from our baseline knowledge we know that these things are kind of wrong right but have been perpetuated through you know cultural norms and um you know i guess kind of historic practices that exist so yeah i think that you know like if, if you you know read the last khutbah or you read that ayah in like, I think it's Surah Isra, right? You look at this, you look at the tafsir, you're like, all right, well, that instantly, you know, that means I can't start rejecting people based on their skin color, or I can't start alienating people based on, you know, what language they speak or what region they're from or something like that, right? Um, so these kind of things, and now they become very like open shut kind of cases. Um, and not just saying like, you know, how do we weigh culture versus this? And, and it gets you know, where people try to muddy the discussion a lot of the times when you know, sometimes there are actually very clear cut answers that exist within the Islamic uh, framework. If I can just uh, chip in, I think Father brought up a really good point. It's like, and I think that's where all these discussions should lead at a certain point, right? Like, I don't think anyone's going to argue that, you know, racism exists or doesn't exist. I think everyone, it, it's it established that, you know, you know, racism exists, marginalized people, you know, um, there are marginalized groups and such, but, you know, what can we do? You know, you know, well, what steps can we take? And I want to start the discussion on that, um, Sister Faryal. Um, but I also want to chip in my own thoughts on this, because I do think that I'll, I'll give an example. Like, um, you know, I come from a Bengali family um, and, you know, one of my mom's best friends uh, is actually one of my best friend's mothers. And uh, she's actually uh, Somali. Shout out to Mahmoud, uh, if you're listening, inshallah. But, um, you know, my one of my mom's closest friends is um, Somali. And that wasn't always um, the case, for example. Uh, you know, because, first of all, uh, it's, it's quite difficult to find, you know, um, I guess for me, at least, Somali friends at my high school, but uh, back in Vancouver. But the thing is that, you know, why did that happen? You know, I always ask myself, like, you know, how did it happen that, you know, these communities mix that, you know, I've never, I'll be completely honest. It's not very, it's not very often that, you know, especially in, at least in the Bengali culture that you see, you know, the generation before ours, you know, or at least maybe it's the same in Pakistani culture as well. 
kind of mix and kind of you know populate their friend circles with people that aren't that don't look the same as them basically um and you know i guess what i'm trying to say is i think one of the most important things to be able to i guess undo a lot of this um you know marginalization like racism and all this other like you know all these other oppressive i guess um you know circumstances is one to you know include people in dialogues and discussions and and uh, by an extension not create exclusive you know um situations like for example what i what, 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 what do i mean by this um the, uh, the process there's a hadith in Bukhari and muslim in both the, like the authentic, authentic collections where abdullah ibn masrud quotes the prophet is saying you know should there be three of you then let not two of them be in conversation to the exclusion of the third because this will hurt him uh so basically if there's a group of three of you you know don't speak privately um you know with um two of you like don't don't speak privately because this is going to hurt the person right and this is you know subhanallah if you look at the emotional intelligence of the process that's an entire you know um you know talk on its own but um you know even if for example if you're in a, if you're in like the msa office and there's maybe for example a sister who's like maybe uh let's say um arab and like a sister who's from uh kenya or something um, obviously, I'm giving the sisters example because I'm. I guess I don't know why I chose the sisters example, but are the brothers? If you're in an office and there's a brother from, uh, you know, Nigeria and another brother from Malaysia, and you're speaking in Urdu in the office, or you're making jokes that only people who are from this, uh, the subcontinent would understand, you know, this is part of the problem, right? Uh, and so I'm not saying that we do away with our specific languages and specific, um, you know, cultures, but we shouldn't use them in a way that alienates and disqualifies others from a discussion. Uh, if you look at, for example, some masjid boards, uh, you know, they might be all brown and they literally have their meetings in, uh, what do you call it, um, Farsi, or they have their meetings in Urdu. How is, uh, you know, a non-Pakistani, non-Afghani person supposed to get involved in these boards if there's already a precedent for that being the language to run, run it by? So I think it's important to include people in, you know, in discussions. And how do you do that? I think it's it's the minutia. It's like making doing small steps where, hey, I know like Zach's in this um, you know room with me, and I know that me and him can both understand some Urdu words. But there's a brother here that doesn't speak Urdu, and I think he's gonna feel left out uh, if you know if we don't. And we all speak English. We all you know at least know a little bit of Arabic. Maybe I'll make a more fitting joke, or maybe I'll have a conversation you know that we all can participate in, uh, and Allah knows best. See, this is where I think culture starts to play a bigger role in people's lives rather than religion because a lot of the time people make so many decisions unknowingly and they they think it's right only because the rest of their society is following it and then as soon as they they start to divert towards a different path or they want to pursue something else they're always worried about Oh, what are the people gonna say? I'm I'm pretty sure we've all heard that somewhere from from some of our elders. So they really start caring about what others might think of them when they make a certain decision. So I feel like I feel like we need to put an end to that. Like you you really need to start looking out for yourself and what's right for you. So just going back to cross-cultural marriages for an example that was mentioned earlier, um, there's absolutely no wrong in those. Like if, if an Arab man wants to marry a Muslim black woman, there is absolutely no wrong in it. Islam 
based on Islamic laws, it is all permitted, you know? So, so then the question comes up is that then why don't we see these type of marriages? If they're allowed, then why don't we see it a lot? And you know, I think it's again, it just comes back to culture and a lot of people being reluctant from moving away from their culture. And I think at the end of the day, um, people need to realize the difference between right and wrong because some people tend to make the wrong decisions um, solely based on what their society makes their decisions on. And I think it's important for every individual to seek out the right and wrong answers through an Islamic lens rather than thinking what society would say or what's acceptable in their culture. You know, sometimes you need to step away from that and think what's acceptable in Islam. Okay, so I'm going to bring up another point. Faryal, do we have time? Yeah. Okay, so do you guys think that like, well, personally, I think that like, there are certain things where I think very differently from my parents, whether it's in terms of like religion or culture. Um, Do you guys think that like, previous generations, like our parents' generation, have a specific way of thinking, and we are more deviating from that and focusing more on religion than culture? um i personally agree i feel like uh, personally for myself i've been seeking out knowledge more islamic knowledge and basing my decisions around that rather than what my society and culture has taught me this is not to really quickly i just also want to like just make sure that you know uh, i'm not like you know at the end of the day like even our own communities like like for example arab desi you know and you know for example like um c- c- different communities and for example uh, north and eastern africa and western africa um specifically i'm going to say have had very very rich you know to this day islamic you know places of learning right um you know i think to also stereotype you know our own countries as un-islamic and you know maybe had nothing of benefit would be doing an injustice to like the actual communities of you know scholars and shuyuk that came from them right like pakistan bangladesh um you know saudi arabia syria Mauritania, you know South Africa have extremely rich traditions. What do you? But I guess the question that I got, I want to I guess ask then as a consequence is like, do you guys think you know maybe the different environments that we grew up in changes the way we view Islam? Because our parents were kind of immersed and maybe like like dunked head first in culture, right? Because they were raised in a country that was most likely monogamous, right? Like all Pakistani or all Indian or all uh, you know Pashtun or all Punjabi, uh, etc. Whereas we're kind of we don't have that same, um, I guess, uh, factor because we can't really get dunked first in culture because there's just so many of them that it's very hard to take in one exclusively. You guys think that might play a part in why maybe as an MSA, we, we find it easier to bond and, you know, to make our ties Islamic than culture-based just by the virtue of, you know, being exposed to so many more cultures yet one united Islamic front, I guess. Um, I think it can also go go both ways, but I think at the end of the day, it's about conversation. It's about talking to other people and realizing that we're not all the same people, even if we come from Pakistan. We all have like our own experiences, our own like things that we've gone through in our life. And I think once you start talking to more people, like Alhamdulillah, like this, like we get to like listen to each other's experiences. I think then you get to like broaden your um, knowledge and understanding as well. I feel like now, personally, like with my parents nowadays, I think 
being away from like where they've been grown up so my parents they grew up in Pakistan now they're like living here I feel like now that they're isolated away from their own cultural group I think they they are seeking like all of this Islamic knowledge for themselves and my my mom personally she's always whenever she's cooking she always puts on some sort of lecture like um Sheikh Omar Suleiman, like she always turns that up to full volume and she listens to all of these. And, you know, I, I really think that it it adds on like new perspectives to these people that come from these very um, culture populated communities. No, yeah, 100 percent. I think all of you like the reason why I asked the question is because like it's not an easy question to answer. right? Because at the end of the day, a lot of this is just, um, you know, Allah Ta'ala, you know, in his mercy, you know, opening doors you know, to us that you know, make us a better person. And I ask Allah to increase us in, you know, good and help, uh, you know, those of us, you know, including myself who, you know, of course we all have flaws and such. But I think two things that, two hadiths that come to mind or two things that come to mind are the two sayings. One of the Prophet Sallallahu and one that I just remember hearing and honestly it changed my perspective on a lot of things is that when it comes to like, you know, your religion and I'm going to speak about religion here because you know, if, if there's a non-Muslim audience or anything, if there's anyone who doesn't understand why, you know, we're bringing religion into something like marginalization and stuff is that you know, religion is more than just, you know, your your uh, your prayers, right? Religion is more than just, at least for Muslims, um, and even for, to be honest, for Christians as well. Like, religion should be more than just, you know, this idea of, you know, my prayers and my zakat and, you know, my fasting and such. Religion is also, you know, defines, you know, how, how you view, you know, the importance of, you know, being kind to your parents, being kind to others. Like Brother Zach mentioned the hadith of, you know, or the last khutbah talking about, you know, how taqwa is the most important thing you know, over anything else, being God conscious and fearing Allah in all your interactions, all your doings, all your happenings. Um, the Prophet says in a hadith in, in Tirmidhi, uh, Abu Rayyad reported the Prophet said, a man is upon the religion of his best friend, so let one of you look at whom you be friends. And I think this hadith is extremely important because it shows you that even if you're in a community of like, you know, in, of the Quraysh, if you're in a community of like, you know, the worst people, right? Uh, you know, if you're in a community of people who are racist, if you're in a community of people who are actively hating on others, but you have a tighter circle, you know, uh, you're the you're that other group, you're that strange group that is proper, that has these values, inshallah. If you look at who you befriend, this can be, you know, uh, you know, this can define, you know, how you live the rest of your life, how your religion, you know, is manifested. So Sister Fatima mentioned, I don't think those are, you know, opposites. I think both situations exist. It's all about, you know, what community you know, you know, you you stick to in what community Allah, you know, guides you to. And may Allah guide us, you know, the best of company, I mean, and make us a part of that. And the last thing I want to say actually on this topic is uh, a really important quote. Um, but I think um, uh, Ustad Bilal Muhammad, um, he said that, you know, Islamic schooling, Islamic schooling is not a replacement for Islamic parenting. Um, you know, as much as we want to talk about Islamic schools and, you know, Islamic, you know, lectures and everything, you know, Islamic parenting or having a very strong Islamic friend circle is a very, very important way to like also unlearn a lot of these things that are un-Islamic, right? And I think that that's an important uh, perspective too, is that even if the community is absolute trash, even if everyone around you, even say, even if your own family is inspiring habits or things that are maybe not the best in you, you know, the people who are closest to you, if they're people that, you know, you can learn from, and I think that's something that we should take from, is we should always be around people that we can learn from, uh, then, you know, we can start, I guess, moving in the right direction. And I think, for me, at least, that's a big reason I joined the MSA. Um,
All right, Alhamdulillah. This was a very meaningful conversation. And I hope the viewers liked it as much as we enjoyed talking about our experiences and reflecting upon everything. All right. So um so thank you to everyone that came out today to share their experiences. And obviously, thank you to our audience that has been listening to this. Um, inshallah, we hope to see more people, more of you come out and talk about your experiences. Um, unfortunately, one of our hosts, Fatima Haroon, she wasn't able to join us. But here's a clip that she recorded herself. And we'll insert that here. Assalamu alaikum everyone, my name is Fatma, like Faryal said, and unfortunately I wasn't able to make it to this podcast today, but hopefully you'll be hearing more from me later on. So just a little bit about me, I'm in my third year at MAC in the Honors Biology program, and I love having deep conversations, hence my involvement in this podcast. Um, yeah. Another host, Mariam Khan, was also not able to join us, so here's a little clip of her. Assalamualaikum everyone. My name is Miriam. I'm a honors arts and science student here at Mac. Um, and some of my hobbies, they include reading. I love playing tennis, but not professionally. And um, I also really like running, but I'm not at that marathon level yet. Um, so yeah. So brother, brother Zach, could you end us off with the closing dua then? Yeah. Uh, everyone for listening to all the uh, hosts and the podcast people um, and yeah I hope this was beneficial for everyone um, and I'll allow it to be a means of uh, you know knowledge for us to gain and insight into you know issues that are happening in our community and maybe even outside of our community um, yeah everyone for tuning in um, hope to see you guys all next episode inshallah everyone assalamualaikum assalamualaikum